welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and my co-host. I am Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, charter member of the Calle du Cinema. <laughs> that is just <laughs> untrue. <laughs> You're putting yourself on the level of Jean-Luc Godard. And Andre Bazin. Oh, yeah. And then and Jason Harris. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Who was not alive at the time that that actually But was. if I was, you would not have been involved. That is true. Yes. <laughs> so in the second season, but a highbrow film reference is appropriate <laughs> for this episode of our second season of Awesome Movie Year, where we're talking about the films of 2007. And in this episode, we are looking at the Palm d'Or winner from the 2007 Cannes Film Festival. The Romanian film, Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days, which probably was written about in Kayadu Cinema. I think so. It is. Uh, hey, man, everyone wrote about this movie. This that was true. Uh, lauded throughout the world. It was indeed. It, uh, of course, won the Palme d'Or at the, uh, at the Cannes Film Festival and uh, cleaned up at a lot of critics groups and things like that. Although controversially... It was uh, submitted as the uh, Romanian selection for the best foreign language film Oscar, but was not nominated, uh, which got a lot of outcry. Yeah, that'll go in the legacy section. It led will. To some rule changes. It there. will indeed. Um, but even so, it was it was interesting to see that it was because it wasn't released. It, it played at Cannes in 2007 and, and, and was released in a lot of European markets that year, but didn't actually get released in the U.S. until early 2008. Uh, but because a lot of critics saw it, it was on a number of critics' top 10 lists in 2007 and then also in 2008. So it was its acclaim spanned years, really. 2007, 2008, those are years. Thank you. I sound, it looked like you had something to contribute, and then you clearly did not. Um, and also, uh, interestingly enough, we always look, you, we look at these, these kind of arty, uh, difficult films, and um, it's surprising to see this movie made uh, $1.2 million at the box office in North America, which is a lot for a movie like this. And it made $9.8 million uh, worldwide, uh, which was more money than our previous uh, episode's uh, uh, subject, I Know Who Killed Me. Uh, this is a better movie, guys. This is a slightly better movie than I Know Who Killed Me. Uh, and it was all on a budget of 600,000 euros, which, as we know, is some number of dollars. Yeah, I don't uh, listen. I'm not into conversion rates right now. Kids. We're, we're, we're not good at math. We've established this on multiple episodes. No, math is not our thing. Yeah. So let's move on to, Let the, us move to on. the buddy comedy known as four months, <laughs> three weeks and two days. Uh, yes. So speaking of numbers, though, it did get a 96 percent. Fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which is very good, obviously. Most critics loved this movie, or maybe loved is not the right word, but lauded it uh, strongly. Uh, Roger Ebert said, The movie deliberately levels an unblinking gaze at its subjects. There are no fancy shots, no effects, no quick cuts, and director Christian Mungyu and his cinematographer Oleg Mutu adhere to a rule of one shot per scene. That makes camera placement and movement crucial and suggests that every shot has been carefully prepared. Even shots where the ostensible subject of the action is half visible or not seen at all serve a purpose by insisting on the context and the frame. Visuals are everything here. The film has no music, only words or silences. 
And I think that was something we noticed. I remember as we were watching early in this film, you saying to me, was that a single take at one point? And there are many, many long takes in this movie. It was, it was right at the beginning where uh, you're following one of the two main characters as she walks through the dorm. And it was like, you're, you're with her. So you're not noticing kind of the camera work. And you're like, wait a second. That was like probably a three to four minute uh, take right there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this movie is full of those. And I think um, on the one hand, this is a very naturalistic kind of documentary like movie. But on the other hand, as Ebert says, it's obviously been carefully planned visually. And to do those kinds of takes takes a lot of preparation. You got to do that. And, um, you know, we'll get to the... um, the dinner scene. Yes. Did you read about the preparation of that? I did. I mean, I know that is another long take scene where the main character, we should uh, mention Otilia, the main character, played by Anna Maria Manka. I'm probably, we're going to mispronounce everybody's name in this episode. And Gabita? Yes, is, is her friend who she is helping to obtain an illegal abortion. Right. So there's this dinner scene um, that... They fil- it took them five days to film it because it's oh, wow. one long take. Yeah. 17, 17 different takes to get there. And yeah. That and is, it lasts for what, five, six minutes? I think probably. it's maybe eight minutes or something like that. Yeah. It's a lot of, there are a lot of really long takes. And yeah, that dinner scene is well, uh, well regarded because, I mean, I think what's impressive, we'll talk about this more later, but uh, the way he gets across, like, like Ebert says, the words, but also the silences, how much comes across yep. from what the characters don't say. Locally in Las Vegas Weekly, Mike D'Angelo said, uh, while Mungyu doesn't shy away from the real world implications of Gabita and Atilia's actions, even so, even going so far as to include a controversial close-up of the aborted fetus lying bloody and forlorn on the bathroom floor, which I know was a moment Jason had a lot of difficulty with. That's 14 seconds long, yeah. Rich. Uh, his intentions are political in a much broader and less potentially divisive sense. Indeed, it's only perhaps half an hour into the film that it even becomes clear what traumatic event these young women are working to arrange. If you go into it with no foreknowledge, as I did, the air is thick with apprehensive mystery, and viewers whose thoughts aren't leaping ahead to the back alley procedure will likely find it that much easier to take stock of what Meng Yu is really doing. Um, and that was another thing, I think, at some point in the beginning, obviously we both knew what this movie was about, and I've seen it before, and even when I saw it before, I knew what it was about. But they're they're talking. The characters are talking about money at one point, and you were asking me, uh, "Do we know yet what that's for?" And we didn't, if we hadn't gone into this movie already. Knowing. And I kind of like that. Um, and you know, I had been reading some uh, quotes from among you um, where he's saying he just wanted to get into it without telling the audience what he's getting into, and let the crowd, you know, kind of ca- the viewer catch up with the uh, activities of the film. Yeah, I like that. It's it's a very matter of fact. Uh, portrayal of this and that includes when it gets to the intense uncomfortable things but also just the mundane preparations that the movie starts with right and through those preparations you really get to learn a lot about the characters and um one of the strengths of this film is that it's all distilled every point of view is distilled around this event right yeah so you're learning about each character based on their involvement and um feelings on this event right yeah it is all there's there's no extraneous context given in this movie the last review i have is from manola dargis in the new york times she says in four months three weeks and two days a ferocious unsentimental often brilliantly directed film about a a young woman who helps a friend secure an abortion the camera doesn't follow the action it expresses consciousness itself 
later she says, it's a pitiless, violent story that in its telling becomes a haunting and haunted intellectual and aesthetic achievement. Yeah, I think back to one scene um, where uh, Otilia is meeting Mr. Bebe. Yeah, the abortionist. Yeah, and um, Mr. Bebe is, um, he leaves the car to go talk to his mom, who's sitting outside of their home or yeah. whatnot. And we just hear what's going on between the mom and Mr. Bebe in the background. But all of our visual is on Otilia, who's also hearing this. And it's a, it's a really powerful scene to show kind of uh, the economic strife that uh, Mr. Bebe's family was dealing with in this, uh, I guess, kind of last days of communism in Romania. Yeah, it takes right? place in 1987 in Romania. Yeah, in the waning, Yeah, the waning days of his reign, I think, which ended in 89 or 90. Right. And then also, you know, she's hearing all this stuff. And this is the guy who's going to perform this uh, life life altering at and the very least and yeah. life threatening procedure to uh, her best friend. Yeah. It, there's a lot of moments like that in this movie. And we talked about in the dinner scene too, where she says, Otilia says very little in that scene. And yet the way she expresses her uh, anguish is what you're focused on more than all the inane chatter that's going on around her. Right. And that dinner scene, which is a break from the intensity. <laughs> right. right. Yeah becomes so important and usually in those movie in not in those movies in, 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 in movies. the average romanian abortion movie <laughs> yeah right um usually in movies when you break away from that that can be just a throwaway stuff but this heightened everything so much which was, it was so impressive yeah yeah um so you had never seen this movie before right? i had never seen it i knew of it um but no never seen it before. Uh, yeah, and I saw it in, I was looking it up in, in March 2008 was actually when it finally, it played here in theaters in Las Vegas, and I watched it on a screener, and it's definitely a movie that I was impressed with at the time that I watched it, and I had been hearing about it, obviously, for nearly a year since it had been in Cannes and had high expectations, but I remember being uh, definitely impressed with it, and certainly also at the time probably thought I would never watch it again, <laughs> and, and yet uh, I did eventually watch it again. For this podcast yep yeah thank you i i appreciate your contribution <laughs> on that front uh any other background details that you would like to mention on this film uh this was his second film right among you second yeah film? it was his second film his first film is called is it ovation i think uh no occident occident yeah. is the name of his first film um i thought uh some interesting background you know like you said be uh wasn't nominated for an oscar did win the european film award Get 15 uh, GoPo nods, which is the Romanian okay. um, kind of uh, awards. They're their top film awards. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then what else? I, what, the other thing that I thought was cool was that there were only 50 movie theaters in Romania when this movie came out. So they did a caravan tour where they like set up movie screens in different cities and towns. And um, 17,584 people got to see this movie on a caravan tour, which is pretty cool that they did that. Yeah. And it's impressive that a movie like this can become a sort of an event film, even you know, in a country like as small as Romania. Right. Well, I mean, look, we never had to live in any type of communist dictatorship, although 
I guess you could remake this movie in like today's Alabama where <laughs> abortion's a, illegal. That now, is right? a heartening thought here. It's hey man, that's yeah. but that's literally what's going on right. today. They're banning yeah. abortions yeah. in states, right? That is true. And they're say uh, uh what I had read was uh between Mungu and some different scholars, they're saying that um because of the abortion ban through the illegal procedures, anywhere from ten thousand to 500,000 women died in these procedures. Yeah, right? in Romania over the course of what, 25 years right. or so? Yeah. You know, so like Yeah, that's not, very bad. Not a good policy, guys. <laughs> no, so. no, not a good policy, but uh, as I think Mike D'Angelo noted a little bit, this movie is not just about whether abortion should or shouldn't be legal. Yeah, I agree. Let's talk about that coming up. Let's do that. We'll come right back and talk about our general thoughts on four months, three weeks, and two days. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In our second season on the films of 2007, we are looking at the Palme d'Or winner from the Cannes Film Festival that year, which is Christian Mungiu's Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days, uh, one of the key films in the Romanian New Wave. And I think a very good film, and yet a movie that we would not want to watch again. <sighs> I almost would want to watch it again okay. from a filmmaking standpoint because of the stuff that we've talked about. Those long takes are so impressive. I feel like that dinner scene is like something that should be shown at film schools like all over the world. It's yeah. so good. Um, I don't want to watch it again, <laughs> but I would watch it again if need be. Yeah. So. Well, I like I said, I have actually now watched it twice and 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 I would watch it again if need be, of course. Um, but I was I I did feel like going into our recent viewing of this movie a little bit of dread like i know this is going to be tough to get through and i think it is tough to get through obviously that is the point of the movie is that it's difficult and you want to feel some of the difficulty that the characters are feeling as they go through this ordeal um and i think the movie obviously as you were saying we didn't live through a period like this but the movie really gives you a sense of what it was like to live through this period. Yeah. And I think that again, the camera work plays into that where it's just, um, you're almost a fly on the wall, seeing these events as they unfold and you're just sticking with whatever the action is, right? It's not quick cuts to heighten anything. The emotions heighten because it's all happening as you're watching. It. Yeah. Those long takes are, are really impressive and, and they're not showy. I think it's easy. Right. When He's not moving the camera. Like it's, you know, like our buddy Joe Wright from Atonement or whatnot. <laughs> right, it's all these yes. amazing different positions, uh, which is great. That's what he does so well. But this is just like putting a camera down and like letting letting the scene play out. Right. I think it's the idea of we're not, he's not letting us look away. It's maybe we're starting to feel uncomfortable and you'd like for him to cut. You'd like to not be in this moment anymore. And he is forcing you to stay in that moment. And it's, it takes a lot of balls to do that because you know, uh, to have the confidence in your cast and crew that, hey, I can leave this camera where it is for the next four minutes and people will be interested in whatever is going on. That takes a lot of courage, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. And and the performance in this performances in this movie are very good. I mean, they justify him leaving the camera there on those people uh, for that length of time. And I was I was reading something about the background that it was very important to him to cast actors who could memorize a lot of lines because there's so much that they'll have to say 
in that single take. Um, and these were actors, some of them who'd done a lot of stage work. So they're able to, to memorize entire uh, plays to deliver at, at one moment. Right. I think Otilia, whoever played Otilia. Yeah. And Maria was, uh, Monka, I think is how you yeah. pronounce her name. Yeah. And, and also Vlad Ivanov, who plays the abortionist, I think had had some experience. Yeah. It with seems that like since this movie, he's, he's like kind of skyrocketed as an actor in Eastern Europe. What do you know about the Romanian new, new wave? That's not a, um, you know, we, we both consider ourselves uh, uh, at the very least film fans and some regard film scholars. You're a critic. I have a film degree. I'm making movies. I don't really know about anything about the Romanian new wave. I know a bit about it. I mean, I've seen, I was actually looking up uh, before we were doing this, the Romanian new wave kind of lists of movies from that movement to see, well, how many of these have I've seen? And I have not seen any of uh, Christian Mungu's other films. Uh, he had one previous, as we talked about, before this, he went on to make a couple more. Uh, Beyond the Hills from 2012, I remember being at film festivals, I think, where it was playing and I didn't end up seeing it. And uh, Graduation, I think, was his. He won another Palme d'Or, didn't he? Uh, I don't know if it won, but it was in the running. I think both of those movies played at Cannes in competition. It might have won another Palme d'Or. Um, but I haven't seen any of his other films. I have seen uh, The Death of Mr. Lazarescu which came out around the same time as this film. The, these two, that one and, and Four Months, were kind of the, the movies right. that really catapulted the Rom Romanian new wave into awareness around the world beyond just Romania. And that movie is very similar to this in that it's about bureaucracy getting in the way of basic human needs. And that's a, a character who is an older man who has, I think it's, I don't know if it's a heart attack or he's got some medical emergency and the ridiculous bureaucracy and just what he has to do to get an ambulance to take him to a hospital and a hospital to admit him and all that. Right. And there's like this, I mean, I didn't find this film humorous, but I know that there is like a tinge of dark humor um, that Romanians found humorous in, in this. And yeah. just to kind of like, um, everyday bullshit that they always have to put up with right uh, in this time period yeah i mean there's the scene where otilia goes to the first hotel that they're trying to book a room at um where uh Gabita has called previously and supposedly made a reservation and she shows up to get the room and she's talking to the clerk uh, who obviously does not care at all about her and just the ridiculous circular bureaucracy of you know, it's almost like a, like a Monty Python sketch. Like, well, I have a reservation, so I should get a room. Well, but if you don't have a reservation, you can't get a room. Well, how do I get a room? You make a reservation. Well, I made a reservation, but you don't have a reservation. And right. It's this sort of circular demonstration of the bureaucracy. And it, there's, some, there's some humor to that. I mean, it's definitely dark humor. And obviously, Otilia is in distress over this because she has to get this room so that they can have this procedure done. Well, so they've gone over this plan like uh, many times going into it. Gabita is going to get the abortion. Um, and Otilia, her roommate and dear friend, is going to kind of help her with all the details. But Gabita was the one who put the plan together based on talking to other people who have had illegal abortions, right? But Gabita doesn't really do the things that she needs to do to get uh, the procedure done and to get it done for the price that they agreed on. And that leads to uh, some uh, difficult consequences for the two, I'd say. Yeah, Gabita is an interesting character because, first of all, it's interesting that this movie, the main character is not the woman who's getting the abortion, but the friend who is helping right. her. Right, and that, be that was something that I had read that kind of, 
developed over revisions in the script and everything. Yeah, and I like that. I think there was also mentioned there was a scene and early in the film, right, where Otilia mentions her dad, Gabita's dad is coming to visit, and that was a scene that was shot that they cut out. Right. Um, because it wasn't about Otilia. But but yeah, I mean, even even so, Gabita is a very frustrating character. You you feel sympathy for her because she's has having to go through all this horrific stuff to get an abortion, which is something she should be able to get. But as a person, she's very passive, she's kind of whiny. She doesn't, as Otilia points out, follow through on the basic things that she needs to do. And it does lead to some pretty bad consequences. Yeah, she makes some really bad choices that affect her and affect uh, Ophelia, Otilia. Otilia. And, yeah. um, you know, basically uh, they both have to, because they don't have the money to pay, uh, because she lied about uh, what month she, uh, she was in in her pregnancy. She is four months, three weeks, and two days into her pregnancy. I know, which they don't say in the film. No. But uh, <laughs> she, she, she says she's about two months, right? Yeah. So, they, so this guy, Mr. Bebe, gives him the price for two months. At four months, now it's a crime and he's risking, or it's a bigger it's crime. It's a bigger crime, yeah. He's risking 10 years in prison. So they don't have the money to pay him. So he uh, says the only way he'll do it is if they both have sex with him. Yes. And like, it's very transactional. And like, um, she never really apologizes to Otilia for putting her in that position. And she does try to get, say like, hey, don't, you know, she has nothing to do with it. She's not right. even my sister. Right, but, right. You know, um, and um, it's all very matter of fact. And even when they show the, you know, abortion, you don't thankfully see anything too close up, but you see, you know, from an angle, this kind of probe going in and this uh, procedure being administered. And it's very matter of fact. It's yeah. not really passing judgment one way or the other. Right, right. That's true. Um, and I think Gabita at one point, she does uh, thank Otilia, but it's in this very timid way. And you get the sense that maybe she doesn't, have the light, right amount of appreciation. Yeah, she does thank her, but then when Otilia questions her, like, well, you know, how do we get to this place? And she's like, hey, you agreed to go along with it type right. stuff, right? Right, you know, right, like, yeah. What else could I do? Right, you know? and I thought that was an interesting approach because your tendency is to sympathize with someone in that position, and the movie almost goes out of its way to make Gabita unsympathetic in a lot of ways. Right, I think, you know, and then you have this, relationship with Otilia and her boyfriend who's a kind of a dick you think he is I, mean, I don't think he doesn't really get any information from her he doesn't know what's going on like right, it's like right he's just grasping at this point and yeah I don't, but, I don't think he's put in a position where he could be a dick well initially maybe not but even initially when she doesn't tell him what's going on and she just says I have to do something important he doesn't care he all he cares about is will she buy flowers for his mom's party? Right. And he doesn't trust her enough that when she says something very important is happening and I need to go do that, that he will believe her. Okay, but if I was gonna defend him every time that he asks what's so important, she says, That's nah, nothing that I gotta tell you now. So you know, it's like in a way she plays it off as not that important as right. Well. But I think you have to think about the weight of the every time she tells somebody what is happening that's another risk for her of going to prison and of her friend having to go to prison with a, and potentially have to give birth to a baby in prison or something like that. And I, it, to me, I got the sense that I don't know exactly how long she's supposed to have been with this boyfriend, but that 
maybe she didn't entirely trust him. It's to, the end of the road for these two. Yeah, so. yeah. And even then later on when she does open up and tell him what's going on, he's kind of insensitive about it. Yeah, I think a lot of that is probably he's a college guy. It's his mom's birthday. He's he's not mature enough to to know what to do in these situations. Right. But, and of so. course the the propaganda or the government has has uh indoctrinated everyone to believe that this isn't something that you do, that this is wrong. And it's hard for him to accept that this is something that can be done. He says he would try to help no matter what. He says he wants them to not fight and he would always be there for her. I just don't think this character has the emotional capacity yet in his life to know the right way to handle this situation. Right. No, that's fair. And I think that actually is in a way maybe parallel with Gabita in that both of them are kind of emotionally immature people. And Otilia is the only character in this movie who has that maturity. And so she has to take on the burden of everyone else's immaturity and, and get things done. So what do you think about the aspect of her, uh, you know, uh, just agreeing that, okay, well, well, not really agreeing. Obviously she's pressured into it, but she goes forward with sleeping with the uh, abortion doctor first. Yeah. I mean, I think she maybe has a sense of being self-sacrificing and that she has accepted that whether it's fair or not, she is going to be the one who bears the burden of getting this done. And he tells them that, well, if they're not going to do this and they're going to wait and they're going to come up with the money next week, then he won't do it until next week. And obviously they've already waited too long and they've paid for this hotel room and this, it's, it's kind of a now or never situation. And so I, I think that she's the kind of person who is, is self-sacrificing, does what others ask of her, even if it's maybe not in her own best interest. Yeah. It's uh a tough road to hope for these two. So does yeah, it. yeah. It's a, nobody in this movie is in and is in an easy position to make a decision. Right, and so they get the procedure, and then she leaves to go to the uh, birthday party to meet the boyfriend. Right, mom. because she can't say no to him Otilia, either. Right. Yeah, and I'm thinking like, man, this just has disaster written all over it, which it doesn't. You know, um, as we come to learn, I figured like she's gonna leave, and Kabita's gonna have these horrible complications and that she can come back and be dead. But this does lead, lead us to this dinner scene where it's the boyfriend's parents. There's about six of them. They're all doctors, right? They're all of a higher class than Otilia. Right. Yeah. And um, Otilia's just had to sleep with this doctor. Her friend just had to sleep with this doctor. She just had to watch her friend get the abortion, you know, and they went through all these obstacles to get to that point. And, uh, now there's all this small talk at the table. When I was young, this happened. And right. you're really just focused on her as all this is going on around her. And it's so effective. And everyone is so jovial and having such a good time. And she's like so removed from everything that's going on there. Um, it's that that was the scene, I think, really, that stood out to me in the movie. Yeah, I think that's for a lot of people. A lot of people who were writing about it at the time, that's the one scene that stands out. And it really does because... You get that. And, and I think it works because we've had everything that leads up to it. And we really understand the weight, the burden that Otilia is dealing with as she's in that scene and is trying to uh, just get through these moments with the boyfriend's family. Um, yeah. And I think also it's interesting what you say about the expectation when she leaves Gavita alone and you think, oh, something terrible is going to happen. And it doesn't. She comes back 
And and we get these moments where she's trying to call the hotel room and Gabita doesn't answer and she's rushing back. She thinks the worst has happened and she gets back. And in fact, the I don't know if you want to call it the best, but exactly what's supposed to happen has happened. The the fetus has passed. Gabita is fine. She's resting. But I think the point there is that even when this goes exactly the way it's supposed to go, it's horrible. Yeah. So I want to go back to the dinner scene because you had mentioned that this movie isn't just about abortion. And in that dinner scene, you see, you learn so much about the society, right? Um, because all these doctors are asking Otilia about uh, her family. And she says, my dad was a soldier. And, you know, um, they they call her like simple folk. Right. Oh, you simple folk from the country, right? And it's yeah. like, they're so judgmental. I mean, a soldier is serving his country, you know? And it's like, Ah, you simple folk from the country. And then what are you studying? Oh, I'm studying uh, tech, I think tech, right? Well, says, yeah. yeah, you won't you won't have a, a really great life. I mean, you'll get to live in the city, but you have to work in a factory the whole time, you know? Yeah, so. they're very, very condescending to her. And also about gender roles. They talk about she asks for a cigarette and they say, oh, in my day, a woman would never smoke in front of her boyfriend's parents. Right. And things like that. Yeah. And this was 1987. So you I mean, that all probably you know, and everything felt real. I'd yeah, say. yeah, 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 it definitely did. And even though this is a movie, of course, made by a Romanian filmmaker, primarily for a Romanian audience, I think it does give you a window. If you're not familiar with any of that, it gives you a window into that society and, and gives you an understanding of what it was like. Yeah. Um, and how fortunate we are to other than places like Alabama live in a first world society where you can get the proper medical attention based on certain needs that you right have. right um so i mean that brings up the question of is this a pro abortion or pro legalization of abortion film uh i didn't think i didn't i mean look as someone who believes abortion should be legal i think that my eyes would slant towards that right there are the people who are anti-abortion who say well they show the the fetus which is very tough to watch yeah and it's on screen for 14 seconds and right. he, and the director he said, I'm not, I didn't leave it on screen for any amount of time other than the amount of time it took for the scene to play out emotionally, right? right. Which is what it was. So you can make either argument. I know he said that he was leaving out his personal views. It's not relevant in today's Romania. And that wasn't what the film, he wasn't supposed to dictate one point of view or the other. This was the movie. This was the situation. This is what happened. Right. Yeah. And I think interestingly, you said it's not an issue in today's Romania and that maybe the idea of abortion, whether it should or shouldn't be legal, is a much more contentious issue in the U.S. Crazy. Than it is in Romania at this point. Um, but yeah, I think this is a movie that argues maybe not for abortion because it certainly shows you how unpleasant that is and it shows you the result and it shows you that dead fetus, but it argues for the legalization of abortion because right. the alternative is so horrifying. Right. I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, hey, one thing we didn't talk about that was also incredibly effective is the fact that there's no music in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. There's no score. So really you're feeling everything with such an immediate impact on these characters. Every time Otilia has to go somewhere. All you're hearing are this noises of the streets and everything around her and, uh, you know, barking dogs. There's a lot of barking so many dogs, barking dogs right? in this movie. Yeah. Um, it's very tense the whole way through. And then you get to the end credits and there's, uh, I don't know the song, but there was a very upbeat song playing at the end credits, which was strange. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, yeah, the dogs are saying there's a line at one point where Mr. Bebe tells them don't bury the fetus somewhere where dogs can dig it up. Right. And 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 that really brings home uh, what it means that you've been hearing all these barking dogs throughout the movie because dogs are everywhere. Well, she almost did. Right. She was she was on the run and uh, trying to get rid of this fetus. And um, and there was a point where it looked like she found a spot and she heard the dogs and then she just scampered into this apartment comp building, right and right? she ultimately does what he says which is go to a, a high floor in a high rise and put it down the right and shit. and this is after gabita said promise me you'll bury it properly right, right. And, and i think that's another thing of how she takes on those burdens for someone else that she knows that gabita needs to hear yes i promise i'll bury it properly and to tell her oh yeah i did i buried it because that's all that gabita can handle did she t- did she tell her that at the end? I thought she get beat asked, and then she just said, she, I, "We're never going to talk about right, this ever yeah, again." That's true. She doesn't specifically say it, but she does promise beforehand that she will do it. Right. And I think by not saying anything, she kind of implies that she followed through and did what she said she was going to do. Yeah, I also felt um, we had mentioned these long, long shots that were very static. Um, so when you do get to Otilia, kind of in this frantic act trying to get rid of the fetus you're now moving into this very shaky handheld camera that adds to the emotion of what she's going through and the urgency of everything right and and as i think one of those reviews pointed out a lot like especially in that sequence there's shots where you you can barely see anything doesn't matter and i right it doesn't matter and that was another thing i saw a quote from christian mungu who said that at this time part of the whole the the difficulty under communism is there were no streetlights that right. there just wasn't electricity for that and right. so he wanted to capture that as well and that's how uh his director of photography uh tried to light it with kind of unique techniques uh of places and areas that you know maybe there's a light coming out of an apartment or something right. along those lines that's helping light the street but um yeah, they really did a great job as a team. The whole the whole production. Yeah, it's it's an impressive. I mean, I think people think of the subject matter first and the difficulty of that, but on a, from a technical standpoint, this is a very accomplished film. I was worried about watching it cuz I thought it was going to be difficult to watch. And I it wasn't look, there were parts that were difficult, the abortion, the fetus, but like the characters were so interesting, I thought that um and the way the way they had to act within this time frame and the the rules and regulations surrounding it i i was um i was very much into this movie like i liked it a lot yeah so. well i'm glad to hear that cuz i know you were kind of dreading it a bit and when we came up with what we were watching for this season it was like uh oh uh and, and well it's a tough subject matter right no right? and i'm not yeah, blaming so. you but i think i i was i was a little concerned that maybe we would come into this discussion and and you would have not gotten on board with this film. Yeah. Uh, I liked it. Yeah. I'm glad that you did. And, uh, and I did too. Again, I mean, and I also was dreading it. Like I said, having seen it once and thinking, Oh, that was a tough sit. And I'm glad I did it because at the time it was, you know, one of the most acclaimed movies of the year and I should see it. Uh, I was worried to come back to it. And I, I too, like you said, there are parts that are difficult to watch. Um, It's not fun. But um, I I was engaged with it really I think the whole time so uh, so out of five aborted fetuses <laughs> um, what would you rate this movie uh, four 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 out of five four feti four feti okay <laughs> yeah I think I mean I would give it maybe three and a half out of five just because. I'll go with that too. It is a little difficult yeah. to get into, especially at first, but it's a good movie. I mean, I think if anybody thought 
I don't like was sort of afraid to get into this and to, yeah. to watch it, you should give it a shot. Upon second review, I have taken away a half a fetus. <laughs> and I will agree Which with half you. are you taking away? Um, whichever half. Oh man, there's Sorry, just no yeah, way out just, of this. Yeah, yeah. No, that was a bad call on my part. <laughs> we'll stop there and come back and talk some more about the legacy of four months, three weeks, and two days. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year in our second season on the films of 2007. This episode, we are talking about the Palme d'Or winner from the Cannes Film Festival, Christian Mungu's Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days. And uh, in terms of legacy, we, we kind of mentioned, I think, the two key points uh, about this movie's legacy. And let's we can start with the Oscar rules being changed, which is a big thing. Yeah. Um, the foreign language film... This movie, there was a big outcry that this wasn't nominated, and they changed the makeup of the committee that nominates foreign language films. It's crazy to me that this didn't get nominated. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see any of those other movies that were nominated? I, you know, won? I didn't look at what that list was, was of what the, was nominated. The Counterfeiters from Austria. I, I might have seen that. That's what won. Yeah. Uh, 12 from Russia. That I did not see. Beaufort from Israel. No. Katyn from Poland. I'm not familiar with that. And Mongol from Kazakhstan. I think I may have seen that German film, but I'm not 100% sure. That was the only one. I have not seen it, but that was the only one I knew. Yeah. I mean, and certainly this was by far the most notable foreign film of that year. Right, and it's interesting because this is the one even now today, if you were like casually talking to people who knew about movies, this would be the one that they would know. I think. Yeah. They would definitely not know those other films. Um, and I think, I mean, it's, it's, it's subjective of course, but at least it seemed like this rule change maybe led to some more challenging kinds of films being nominated in the foreign language category. And I think nowadays it's almost too far the other way that you look at the foreign language films that are nominated and they're all about, horrible historical yeah. atrocities <laughs> you can have fun in other countries <laughs> yeah of course um but i mean this is and it's interesting to me because it, last season in our 1994 season we talked about the documentary crumb which had a similar effect that was there was an outcry that it wasn't nominated for the documentary oscar and it led to some rule changes we only go after the most influential and important films of our days yes um so the other thing uh, that we, again, we touched on a little bit is that this movie really kicked off uh, the international recognition for the Romanian New Wave uh, right. and other films of that. And who are some of the other filmmakers people should look for, Josh? Uh, this, um, yeah, I can know. pronounce everybody's name poorly. Um, I think uh, in terms of what I've seen, uh, there's uh, Corneliu uh, Perumbu, I think. I'm mispronouncing. Um, and uh, Christy Pugh. I think are the two other filmmakers whose films I've seen. I've seen uh, The Death of Mr. Lazarescu, uh, as well as a movie called The Treasure, which was from a few years later. Um, and I've also seen another movie. I think Radu Jude is the director of a movie called uh, Everyone in Our Family. Um, those are the ones that I have seen uh, in this movement. Like I was saying before, The Death of Mr. Lazarescu, along with Four Months, was the one that really brought a lot of international attention to this movement. And there's some other notable films in this movement that I haven't seen, 1208 to Bucharest, uh, Police Adjective. And, right, some short films from Pew and, uh, and uh, Mitalescu as well. So, yeah, there know. are quite a few directors. Um, I, like I said, I would recommend The Death of Mr. Lazarescu 
that has more of the black comedy tone, just the absurdity of the bureaucracy that this guy is dealing with. Um, the treasure I thought was more of the, the stereotypical uh, sort of downbeat foreign film where it was just kind of boring and then nothing happened and nothing happened. And then that built to nothing happening. Um, so I wasn't a huge fan of that film, but it did get a lot of good reviews. Right. So this is um, started in 2004 and is still going this kind of uh, Romanian movie. Yeah. A lot, all of those filmmakers I think are still working pretty steadily. I think the last movie that uh, Christian Mungu made was, graduation in 2016 i want to say speaking of which um you had asked earlier about whether or not he had won a second palm d'Or. he did not but he won best uh director for graduation and also best screenplay for uh beyond the hills both at, at uh can i can't yeah i know he's been like he's one of those directors and can does this a lot where right you get in and then every you. movie you make just gets in one thing i uh was interested when researching him was this uh, time period that this took place is often referred to as like the golden age. I think sarcastically. Right. But I mean, uh, but Hey man, I'm sure there are people who look back with uh, the nostalgia of like, Hey, how, how easy life was. Right. Right. Um, or, you know, cause like uh, it's, it's nostalgia, which is people who miss East Germany. And when it was under, you under know, communist rule. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, um, so he was going to do a whole series of six, Films called Tales from the Golden Age, um, which were gonna, he was going to start them, and there was going to be um, like younger directors taking on from right, over there, right? Um, which would have been interesting. But I think he did. He do a movie called Tales he, from he the ended Golden up Age? doing like an omnibus film called Tales from the Golden Age, where he yeah. he did that sort of in microcosm. So I think he might have directed one or more segments, and then there were other directors who directed other segments from sure. it, and that came after uh, four months. I haven't seen that film either. Um, but yeah, I mean, these movies are, and, and I haven't seen beyond the Hills and I haven't seen graduation, but I know, like I said, being at a film festival where beyond the Hills was showing and having seen four months, three weeks and knowing, even knowing that that movie that beyond the Hills, for example, was highly acclaimed looking at it and thinking, okay, do I want to sit through? And that's longer. I think it's about two and a half hours long. Do I want to sit through two and a half hours of this difficult bleak? I think bleak is the right word for his films. Uh, if eventually rewarding story, or do I want to go see something? Else? And this was under this was an hour fifty three, and I feel like that that was good, man. You know, yeah, it was the right length. I yeah. think more would have been tough, tougher to to, yeah. to deal with. It it gets you. You don't want to get to a point where the audience just tunes out because it's too much, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I think this was effective, and as far as my limited knowledge of the Romanian New Wave, I think this is the one that I uh, was most impressed with. Well. You embarrassed yourself with that knowledge. I'm sorry. I've only seen four Romanian New Wave films. Um, <laughs> I'll get right on that. Ladies, <laughs> he's single. Yeah. Okay, so that's four <laughs> months, three weeks, and two days. That's this episode of Awesome Movie Year. Follow us on social media. Awesome Movie Year, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Awesome Movie Pod, Twitter, uh, awesomemovieyear.com, Jay Harris Comedy, or Jason Harris Comedy, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, goforjason.com. Find me at joshbellhateseverything.com on uh, Facebook at joshbellhateseverything and on Twitter at signalbleed. And you can listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. You could find it at piecingpod.com. Find us on Twitter at piecingpod and check out our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces.
And check out our next episode when we are talking about what, Jason Harris? Next episode is documentary, Josh. And it is apropos that it comes after this because we are dealing with a different type of abortion, An Josh. abortion of justice. An abortion of justice that I think has been righted. We'll have to do a little research. But we are doing the ultra entertaining The King of Kong about the two players who are competing for the world record in the Donkey Kong high score. I think that will be very entertaining. So tune in for the King of Kong on our next episode. Thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. And all points west.